Make the most out of your daily commute or next road trip in a new Audi from Audi Atlanta. And what better way to do it than behind the wheel of a stylish Audi A5 Sportback? Hey, it's Finn, along with my friends at Audi Atlanta, here to introduce this city to the Audi A5 Sportback. With a versatile and athletic design, the beauty lies within, combining the sleekness of a coupe with the practicality of a four-door hatchback. And right now, you can lease the Audi A5 Sportback for $537 per month. Find yours at AudiAtlanta.com. And use the Jim Ellis Expressway to start or complete your entire purchase online or shop in person on Petrie Boulevard just inside the perimeter. Experience the thrill of driving like never before at Audi Atlanta. Offer applies to a 36-month lease, 2024 Audi A5 Sportback 40, 537 per month, 10,000 miles per year with 4731 due at signing. Example stock number A25954 MSRP 49,905 excludes tax, tag, and title fees. Offer expires 531.24 with approved credit. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? This is the Punt and Pass Podcast. Touchdown, baby! Now, here are your hosts, two-time All-American punter Drew Butler. Mark Rick would like Drew Butler to hit it a mile in the air. And he did. What a catch. And the SEC's career leader in touchdown passes and completions, Aaron Murray. Touchdown! In stride as he crosses the goal line. Put it right on his hip. What a throw. Now, with the latest from around the SEC and the world of college football, it's the Punt and Pass Podcast. Get to the house, sideline, pylon, touchdown, and the dogs are on the board first. Victory is mine, yeah, surprisingly, I've been lame. Welcome into the Punt and Pass podcast. I'm your host, Drew Butler. Aaron Murray is calling tomorrow's Arizona Bowl between Georgia State and Wyoming, so be sure to check him out on CBS Sports Radio. So I am riding solo for the last episode of Punt and Pass for the year 2019. Happy New Year to everyone. The college football playoff semifinals were last Saturday. We're going to break all that down. There's a ton to talk about, and the national championship game is set. Number one LSU is going to take on number three Clemson in New Orleans for the 2019 national championship. New Year's Day games are coming up. we got a couple of games that we're going to break down also, so let's dive right into it. Before we do that, though, be sure to follow us on social media at Punt and Pass on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Drew Butler 13 and Aaron is at Aaron Murray 11. Look, if you follow us there, you stay up to date on everything that's going on with the podcast. And before bowl season started, we got rock and rolling with our punt and pass bowl pick them. Here's the update. We're almost through bowl season, but if you looked at the schedule, man, you see today, it's Monday, December 30th, tomorrow, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and even past that, there is plenty of football left. Hopefully you're still on holiday break and you can just veg out on the couch and watch these games. Here is who is in the lead for the punt and pass pick them bowl league. CRG 75 has picked 18 total games correct. That's right. He has net 99.9%. Ox in the shop, good friend of the podcast. He is still in the tie for the lead. He also has 18 correct games. Mike Ridgeway, Stu Dog, Z Money, and Grinding Groovers. You guys are all one game behind at 17 correct games. So appreciate everybody joining in the Punt and Pass Pick'em League. It's been a ton of fun. There is so much bowl football left. So I know everybody is dialed in, watching, and holding on to the remaining days of this college football season. Let's get right to the college football playoffs semifinal games. We'll start with the Peach Bowl. What happened right here in Atlanta? Number one, LSU took on number four, Oklahoma 
And oh my God, could anybody see that first half from LSU coming? I mean, we all knew how prolific the offense was. We all knew how great of a season Joe Burrow has had, how dynamic of a play caller Joe Brady and Steve Ensminger have been. But putting up 49 points in the first half against the number four ranked team in America was simply remarkable. And keep in mind, there was no argument of who the number four team in America was heading into this year's college football playoff. Sure, Georgia had a chance to sneak in to the college football playoff. They were going to have to get through LSU. But Oklahoma shows up and gets their ass beat in the first quarter. I mean, there's no other way to describe what happened in the first quarter and the first half of the Peach Bowl. Joe Burrow throws for over 400 yards and seven touchdowns in the first half. LSU simply looked unstoppable. They looked like they were playing basketball. On a football field, the ball was not touching the ground, right? Guys were wide-ass open, and they could not be stopped. Touchdown after touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. Jalen Hurts tried his best to keep Oklahoma in it. I was really shocked at how Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley specifically, being the play caller, went out there and tried to throw the ball on LSU. I thought there were going to be more quarterback design runs. I thought they were going to try to establish the run game because you had to slow the game down against LSU's offense. If you're going to go tit for tat with LSU and try to outscore them, good luck. I am shocked that that was the approach that they had in their first 15 scripted plays to chuck the ball down the field to try to get Jalen Hurts to throw the ball and extend plays against LSU's offense. You had to keep Joe Burrow in the LSU offense off the field. And how do you do that? You sustain drives. You win the time of possession battle. You keep Joe Burrow on the bench by keeping your offense on the field. They did not do that. It was an epic failure on every level. Preparation, execution, showing up. I mean, LSU simply dominated them. They didn't even really need Clyde Edwards-Alaire, the running back, who, yes, did play, but did not have any meaningful snaps, so to say, in Saturday's semifinal game. I mean, what else can you say here? Really, what else is there to say except LSU looks like one of the best offenses in college football history? And, and I say that with zero hyperbole. You watched it if you were at the SEC championship in person, and you kind of really got the notion of saying, damn, Joe Burrow is the real deal. Sure, we watched him on TV, beat Florida, beat Auburn, beat Alabama, and put up nearly 50 points on the Crimson Tide. But when you saw him in person, and you saw him at the SEC Championship, that deceptive elusiveness that he has in the pocket, the way he is able to extend plays. Really, what's most amazing about Joe Burrow is his accuracy throwing the football while on the move. He is throwing dimes, 50-yard, 60-yard dimes down the field to Jamar Chase, to Justin Jefferson, right in the breadbasket, Four touchdowns. It reminds you, and again, I say this with zero hyperbole, it kind of reminds you of Tom Brady. Tom Brady's the first one to tell you he's not the most athletic guy on the field. I think everybody would agree with that. But the way he moves in the pocket, the way he steps up into the pocket, his timing of when to get out of the pocket, his timing of when to let go of the ball when on the run equals a lot of positive plays, equals a lot of chunk plays, equals a lot of scoring plays for the Patriots. The same can be said, and we've watched it game in and game out this year for Joe Burrow 
and the LSU Tigers. That dude is a baller. I talked about it on Thursday's Christmas Eve podcast. Usually you fade the Heisman Trophy winner in the bowl game. Usually you go against the number one team in the college football playoff because they necessarily haven't had that much success in the five-year history of the college football playoff. LSU is crinkling up every single fade trend statistic of the college football playoff and throwing it in the trash can. Major props to the LSU Tigers. They get a date in New Orleans. I mean, New Orleans is going to be on fire against the Clemson Tigers, who we will talk about next because they took care of business in the Fiesta Bowl. So one last time, Joe Burrow, stud, absolute stud. It's unfortunate we have to wait so long. January 13th is the date for the national championship game. I think that plays into Clemson's favor with Brent Venables being such a good defensive coordinator when he has time to prepare. All right, let's dive into the better football game from Saturday. That's the other semifinal game, which was between number three Clemson and number two Ohio State in Glendale, Arizona at the Fiesta Bowl. What a football game. Clemson wins 29 to 23. Keep in mind, Clemson was down 16 to nothing in the first half. Ohio State comes out and really just throws Clemson around the football field. They out physicaled them, they out executed them. They looked like the better football team when a lot of people were kind of riding off Ohio State right from the jump. Get out and storm out to a 16 to nothing lead. Again, the physicality is what I thought was most notable. Through the television screen, Justin Fields, sure, he looked a little hobbled with that beat-up knee. J.K. Dobbins looked a little hobbled as well as he injured his ankle during the game, but came back and continued to be a force for the Buckeyes. Chase Young, I think there was a lot left to be desired for Chase Young. We've talked about him all season long. He's a world beater. Nobody can stop him. You have to double team him, which will open up other opportunities for their front four rushers. He was not much of a factor, and I think that is what most likely allowed Clemson to mount a comeback. Yes, they ended up scoring two touchdowns before halftime, and everybody's going to point to the referees, most Buckeye fans are, saying that the refs gave Ohio State a screw job. It started with the phantom targeting call, as most would say. Was it a targeting? By definition of the rule, it most certainly was targeting. Ward led with the crown of his helmet. Yes, I know. I know Trevor Lawrence ducked, and I know Trevor Lawrence is six foot five. But leading with the crown of your helmet, and that being the first thing that makes contact with the ball carrier, is textbook targeting. Now, should he have been thrown out of the game? Well, the rule is the rule is the rule. There is no gray area in the rule, which I think will probably be looked at in the offseason. There should be classifications for targeting of the rule because we saw it in the first game. The linebacker for Oklahoma gave a blindside targeting block to an LSU player. That was targeting. That was dirty. It was malicious. He led with his helmet. It was behind the play. You get thrown out. For that, the Ohio State defensive back who came clean on a blitz and sacked Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence lowered his body, lowered the point of contact, but 
if the Ohio State defender led with his shoulder, we're not even having this discussion. So he led with the crown of his helmet. Sorry. I mean, I don't like referees. That's been very well documented on the podcast over the past three seasons. But I think they got that call right. I really do because that's how the rule is. If it was a Georgia player in the national championship, would I have been bitching about it? You know what? I don't know. Most times, though, when I see rules come down like that, you kind of just have to put your hands up and say, look, guys, it's unfortunate, but just don't lead with the crown of your helmet. That was a huge momentum swing in the game. Clemson ended up scoring a touchdown off that drive to really kind of get them back into the game. And then in the second half, the catch-no-catch with the fumble that was returned for a touchdown by Ohio State, but then it was called an incompletion because Justin Ross did not make a football move. I, again, I think that was the right play. When you slowed it down, and when they continue to slow it down, on the ESPN broadcast, you could look at it in super slow-mo and say, wow, it looks like he had full possession of the football. He brought it into his body. His feet were on the ground. But did he make a football move? When you went with the live version of it and it happens, bang, bang. No, he did not make a football move. He did not make a football move. Clemson keeps the ball, and I believe they scored another touchdown on that drive as well. Here's the bottom line. Ohio State turned the ball over twice. Clemson did not turn the ball over. And Ohio State let so many opportunities slip by them. They had every reason to win that game. And simply put, they didn't. Yes, Justin Fields pass at the end of the game. Fourth and seven, or I believe second and seven with 27 seconds left. Excuse me. Alave broke out of his intended route. And when Herbstreit broke it down on TV... He kind of went through it and said, look, Fields has been getting out of the pocket all game long. And Alave sensed that Fields was going to get out of the pocket. So he kind of went on a hot route and was going to break out left instead of the intended break into the field right. Fields thought he was going to break into the field. Yes, he took a little bit longer than expected. But Alave slipping tries to go to the left. It is a wide open Clemson defender for an easy touchdown to ice the game. Unbelievable game, really was, came down to the last seconds in the fourth quarter, two great teams, physical battle, but the player of the game, Trevor Lawrence. I mean, this dude was down 16 to nothing, right? Yes, he's in his second sophomore season. He's had an unbelievable finish to his sophomore season after a rough start. Nothing phases this guy. Absolutely nothing phases this guy. Two great quarterbacks from the state of Georgia, of course, Justin Fields, and Trevor Lawrence, but Lawrence ends up 18 of 33 for 259 yards through the years and two touchdowns. And the story of the game was his 16 carries for 107 yards and a touchdown. This guy was breaking the game open with his legs. Everybody knew he could get out of the pocket as well. He's six foot five. He's got those long strides. He can create first downs with his legs, but I don't think anybody expected him to carry it 16 times for over 100 yards against Ohio State's defense. It was being reported during the game that he stayed up late with Chase Bryce, the backup quarterback, and they were still breaking down tape. And they looked at each other and said, wow, there's a lot of opportunity for me to extend plays and for me to run the ball. Maybe we should call a few designed quarterback runs just to keep Ohio State true. And then that opened up, of course, Travis Etienne, who had two touchdowns through the year. That's right, three catches, 98 yards, and two touchdowns. Clemson is a great football team. Clemson is a great football program. This is what these 
guys do now. They show up for big games. They elevate their play to that of their competition. Dabo Sweeney has it going there, guys. I, I don't know what else to tell you. I was all over Clemson. I loved Clemson heading into this game. And wow, what a game it was. Everybody now looks towards the national championship game. This is the matchup that I think was meant to be. It really was meant to be number one LSU with this awesome, awesome offense taken on the defending national champions, undefeated number three Clemson. Both teams are undefeated. So again, you're going to have the first or the second, I guess, 15-0 team in college football history. Clemson was the first to do it just a season ago. Hats off to Trevor Lawrence. Hats off to Dabo Sweeney. Really hat off to Brent Venables as well, who I think is Clemson's X factor. I really do. This guy knows how to scheme against elite offenses and him having a good two weeks to prepare for LSU is going to be one hell of a matchup. I cannot wait. I honestly cannot wait. And of course we will be sure to keep everybody tuned in for that game. It opened up LSU is a three and a half point favorite. It's been juiced up to five and a half. I don't see how anybody can't love LSU after what they showed in the orange bowl. Man, or excuse me, in the Peach Bowl, but man, it's going to be a great national championship game. Hopefully, Clemson Z can show up and we get four quarters of action like last year when Clemson rolled over Alabama. So, there it is, guys. Again, I said it last episode, I can't believe how quickly this season has come to an end or is coming to a close. But we still have a ton of great football. We still have a ton of great football and, of course, the national championship game coming up. So let's jump to the New Year's Day games. We'll just talk Sugar Bowl right here. Number five, Georgia's going to take on number seven, Baylor. And interestingly, I had some sources come out to me because I said, hey, you know what? Why is Georgia in the Sugar Bowl again? Why is Georgia playing against Baylor? They were just there. A lot of guys aren't going to play. A lot of guys did play last year. Just not a lot of excitement from the Georgia team, from the Georgia fan base, and rightfully so. I mean, they were just there a season ago. And my sources tell me, well, you know, the Orange Bowl made a play for the Georgia Bulldogs, but they had already picked Virginia because of Virginia's automatic bid of being the top-ranked ACC team since Clemson was in the college football playoff. What's the catch there? Georgia and Virginia open up in next season's Chick-fil-A kickoff game in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So both schools kind of agreed they didn't want to go back-to-back, end the season, and start the season with the same opponent. I thought to myself, that's kind of weird. Is that true? And here's what I found. I did a little bit of digging, and this is a little bit elongated because of the information here. But it says, how can an SEC team be selected to participate in the Orange Bowl? Hang with me here. Quote, when the Orange Bowl is not a semifinal game and an SEC team is the highest ranked team by the College Football Playoff Selection Committee among the non-champions of the SEC and the Big Ten and ranked higher than Notre Dame after the college football playoff semifinal games have been filled, then that team will participate in the Orange Bowl. I just said a lot of stuff, but that is the Georgia Bulldogs. Georgia is the SEC team that is the highest ranked team by the college football playoff selection committee among the non-champions. They did not win the SEC, and they finished number five in the CFP rankings. They were ahead 
of Notre Dame after the CFP games were filled. Therefore, they were supposed to participate in the Orange Bowl, but Virginia got the auto bid out of the ACC. I think it would have been a better fit for Georgia if Virginia wasn't there, but Georgia heads to the Sugar Bowl instead and takes on Baylor. Georgia facing a ton of attrition before this matchup. So many guys are not playing, whether they're injured, whether they have not gotten the grades in the fall semester, whether they have failed a drug test, whether they're getting ready for the NFL draft. And Kirby Smart, I think, has taken the right approach to this bowl game. These guys learned their lesson a year ago, the no-show against Texas 13-point favorites, getting their butts kicked, getting a late touchdown to only lose by seven points. But it seems like Kirby and this entire coaching staff has told the team, look, if you don't want to play, just tell us, and you're not playing. If you don't want to compete at practice, we'll find out because we're going to compete at practice. If you don't want to be a part of this Georgia football team that's going to the Sugar Bowl to win a football game, then you don't have to be. I think they are taking the right approach to it. I think a lot of younger guys are getting extremely valuable reps during bowl practice, and I think a lot of younger guys are going to get extremely valuable experience in the bowl game. If they can go out there and compete, because you know Georgia's deep now. I mean, look at the recruiting that's happening. You know Georgia is deep. These guys are itching to get on the field and when you can take on a top 10 Baylor team number seven Baylor you're going to have a great opportunity to get better as a player and to get better as a football team I think that's what Kirby Smart is telling this football team before the Sugar Bowl let's go out and win let's prove to everybody that we're deep and that we can compete with anybody on the field and against any opponent Baylor, on the other hand, facing some attrition of their own. It's Black Monday in the NFL today. A lot of coaches are getting fired. Got to feel bad for them and their families. But Matt Rule, Baylor's head coach, is a hot name in some NFL circles. It's being reported that he has already told his team that he would be dumb not to listen to some NFL offers if they come knocking on his door. So I wonder where his focus is before the Sugar Bowl as well. The general consensus here, though, is that Georgia doesn't want to be there and they're playing with their second and third stringers and that Baylor is fired up to be there looking to get a huge bowl win for their program. But that coach Matt Rule might have his head in other spots. What's my official prediction? I'm going to go a little bit out of the norm here. I think Georgia wins, and I think Georgia wins handily. And I know Georgia's missing a lot on their offensive line. And I know Tyler Clark may not play on the defensive line. I think Georgia's lines of scrimmage are far superior than Baylor's, and I think that's where this game is won. I really do. Oklahoma's defense is absolutely horrid. LSU exposed them. Baylor was scoring on them with their second and third string quarterbacks. I think Georgia wins by two touchdowns. I think in the 14-point to 17-point range, I think they come out focused. I think they come out hungry, and hungry dogs run faster. We all know that. And I I would love to hear the messaging that Kirby Smart has given this football team all year. I'm sure that he is motivating them in a positive way, but also sprinkling in some interesting tidbits like how embarrassed he probably was after the team no-showed in the Sugar Bowl last year against Texas. So give me Georgia. Give me Georgia big. Again, I think that's a bit of a contrarian pick. I think a lot of people are leaning towards Baylor here. I think Georgia with their offensive and defensive line are far superior than Baylor and that they will win this game 
handily. Some other games, Auburn's taking on Minnesota. I like Auburn big against Minnesota. Michigan taking on Alabama. This line's kind of frozen at seven points. Everybody knows Alabama's motivation when they're not playing in the college football playoff has been of question. Don't really know where to go on this one. Let's put it this way. Actually, I just talked myself into it. Nick Saban against Jim Harbaugh. Give me Nick Saban every time. I'll take Alabama here. Wisconsin, Oregon in the Rose Bowl. I like Oregon here. I think Justin Herbert has a lot to prove. He's going to build off that great Pac-12 championship game that Oregon had upsetting Utah. Give me Oregon in the Rose Bowl. Fast track should be a great game. And then, of course, we will be getting everybody ready for the national championship game right here on the Punt and Pass podcast. That game is two weeks away, and I believe a couple of recruits will be announcing where they have signed to go to school at their college or their high school All-American All-Star Games. We'll probably touch on that on Thursday and, of course, recap what happened on the New Year's Day Bulls. That will be on Thursday's episode of Punt and Pass. I'll be right back in action, giving everybody everything that they need to know to recap the New Year's Six Bulls and to preview and talk about the national championship game be sure to follow us on twitter and instagram at punt and pass i am at drew butler 13 feel free to holler at me on social media on twitter and instagram and aaron is at aaron murray 11 look i appreciate everybody tuning in for these quicker episodes i love college football love everybody that loves to join in and discuss college football with me right here on the punt and pass podcast So I will talk to y'all on Thursday. See you.